thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through his word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, yea, my tongue would sing, yea, I confess, yea, I confess, for thy commands are righteousness. Well, greetings this. First Lord's Day of 2022 in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. God is good to give us another day, another Lord's Day, another year to worship His holy name. Amen? You know, the psalmist reminds us in the very first psalm, which I believe is uh, meant as an outline really of what the entire Psalter is saying when he said these words, when he said, blessed is the man, and if you happen to know it, you can quote it along with us. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly are, shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We are to be reminded today as we begin this year together that God uh, blesses those who bless him. God blesses those who trust in him. Amen. And those that don't know the Lord and who hate his name and who uh, did not obey his word, that they're like the chaff, which the wind drives the way. God is saving the world. He's doing it through you and through me. And uh, today we can rejoice as we sing uh, joy to the world. Let us pray first and we'll come out of that prayer singing joy to the world, the Lord has come as we rejoice in the incarnation of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. We thank you for your mercies, which are new for us every morning. We pray today that we would trust that the blessed man is like the tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. Lord, you preserve us, Lord, and you will have your holy will through us. May we trust that and not what we see. May we believe in those things that we can't see that you say will be. May we believe in them and believe that they are already before our eyes. May we give this day to you and this year to you. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Praise Father, Son, and 
standing uh, for just a little bit here. And you will for the third time here. Same passage again. Um, and there's purpose in all of that. My sermon today and my message to you really is a message of vision and hope for the coming year. My, it is also a question. And the question is, what will God do? Now, I didn't mean to do it and don't think that we become super trendy. What will God do in 2022? Okay, this was not, it was not the idea to try to come up with some rhyming phrase. Uh, it was a true question. It just happened to rhyme with 2022. So what will God do? That's what we're going to be asking. Philippians chapter 1, I'll read verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you know that scripture, say that with me again. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let us pray. Lord God, we want to know, and you may not tell us, but we want to know what you're going to do in our lives, in our families, in our church. And so when we ask it, we're, we're really not even asking the Lord for an answer, but we are looking with expectation at what you will do, Lord. Lord, we know that you are working. We know that all things work together for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And Lord, that's who we are. We're your children. We're your people. And so we look with earnest expectation, wondering after all that you've already done, Lord, what will you do? Let us pray. Or I mean, in Jesus' name we pray. <laughs> Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So what will God do? What will he do in each of us? What will he do in our families? What will he do in this body of believers we call Foundation Church? I'm reminded of a scripture that literally saved my life one day. That our lives are not our own. The Bible said our lives are not our own. We've been what? We've been, we've been bought with a price. You might not think of it this way, but your family is really not your own either. And you may say, you may say Foundation Church is my church, but this church is not really your church either. It, in all of our living, in our dying, and in our personal lives, our families, and our church, we have been bought with the price by the blood of Jesus, and we have all been bought for His glory, for His pleasure, and for His purposes. Oftentimes today in this world, uh, we are treated with things that are supposed to help, help us. You know, God, I'm going to become a Christian so that God can help me have more money, or 
so that God can help me have a better family or so that I can be happy. Uh, this is a very self-centered way of thinking. Uh, now what's true is that we can have all of these things, but you really can't let them be the pursuit of your life. John tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For any man that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? Because all that's in the world is what? The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And it does what? It passes away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God. Everybody say, the will of God abides forever. Most of us here at Foundation Church have been through a great deal together over the past 20 years or more. We have rejoiced together and we have suffered together and we have seen more than our fair share of God's kindness and mercy. Can we say thanks be to God? We should all be wondering at this point, what will God do in and through us? You know, as I look back at my life and, you know, most of you know that I've been working on books and things and, and I look, I think, what in the world more needs to happen in my life? I've already lived three lifetimes. I've already been around and seen it and I've already watched God do amazing and incredible things. I, I, could there possibly be more? And the answer is yes, there's more. You know, why, you know how I know that, Brother Tim? Because I have today. Right now. We should all, though, be wondering what God will do and in us and through us and how we can prepare for the good works which he has ordained that we should do because that's what God, he doesn't just save us for heaven, right? He saves us for work right here on this earth. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves is a gift of God, right? But, but it says in Ephesians 2.10, what? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should do. We know that the Bible says that we are the light of the world. Jesus was the light of the world, but so are we. We are the light of the world, right? We're not to hide under a bushel what God has given us, but we are to let our lights, what does it say? So shine that men may see our what? Our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. We have a lot of good works to do. Now, our good works are not going to save us. Amen? Aren't you glad? Because I don't think we can do enough good works to make up for all the rottenness that we've done and that we are. But God is, is so kind. Not only does he save us from judgment and difficulty, but he saves us for the great purpose of doing his work. But the future does not have to be some gigantic or elaborate scheme for us. God has all of that in the palm of his hand. And it can be as simple as doing the next little, simple, quiet thing in front of our faces. Amen? Putting one foot in front of the other teaching the next homeschool lesson, preaching the next psalm, having the next conversation with our brother or sister in Christ. That's it. We kind of like to think it's more remarkable or it has to be staggering or a voice has to speak out of heaven and say, Christina, you have been called to offer your body on the altar, you know, 
and, 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 and be burned alive, you know, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I give my body to be burned. I mean, like, can you imagine? I would love, and I know maybe the actuality of it, but the idea of it that I could offer my body to be burned for God, that's kind of exciting that I could do that. That, that would be exciting. But what's harder than the big thing that we do are the, are the little things that we're doing. You know, Jonathan and Ashley, you're at this age where you got William and you got Nora and you got, you know, Melody and, and your new little baby and girl. And, and you're, you're at this place in your life and you might go, you know, can I ever do all of these dishes? Can I ever teach the Bible? You know, you're starting off and little William, I mean, what does he even know about the Bible? And you've got to teach him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you're like, but man, wait a minute. I'm already feeling old. How old are you, Jonathan? You're 39, 38, 38. You're like, I'm already tired. For the next 10 years, the next 15 years, you're going to be teaching this little boy. And you go, wow, that's a lot of work. Hey, it's one day at a time. Amen? One day being faithful, you know, taking care of that baby, Ashley, as you are, feeding her. Is this any big deal? No, it, it's not in one sense, but in a sense, it is the big deal. It's the big show. It is in this simple life, this quiet life, that God is saving the world and bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. It is in these sunrises and these sunsets, these gentle rains and breezes and the occasional thunder blasting storms that the kingdom of God comes. Amen. Many of us were like, oh, well, what would happen if the president came to Jesus? Or what would happen if Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, wow, they would just, you know. No, God doesn't do that. Now, I hope God saves Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or all the presidents that we have. That's really what I hope for. But, but I'm not counting on that being the thing to change the world because God's word says it's not. God does not choose many mighty, many important, many wise. Why? Because flesh would get the glory. He picks us. And the little things that we do, uh, you know, over at Foundation House or uh, on London Road or uh, on Ridgeway in the corner there, that little nativity that Doug put out there, right? Those little things that we do, we let our light so shine. We love our neighbors. You know, some of those neighbors, you know, maybe Kim even responded, hey, we really liked it when you came over and you sang for us. You know, that little thing that we did. I know some of the people as we sang were like, oh my goodness. You know, I think practically almost everyone in the church was in their front yard. They were kind of overwhelmed by the whole thing. They're like, wow. You made my day. You made my year. God has called us to work, though, as a church for unity. Everybody say Unity. We should work for unity with one another so that we lose ourselves in the collective whole that is his body here on earth. So we're just going to keep doing what we've been doing. We're going to keep plotting. We're going to keep loving. We're going to keep forgiving. We're going to keep being conformed to the image of the Son of God here on earth. Amen? You know, one of the great lessons that I learned in the past few years, and uh, I was able to share this with my wife's family, and I guess they're my family too, um, is that what we have is enough. You don't have to be more than you are. You don't have to be great. You don't have to, one day when God makes me great. No, right now, 
with whatever you have to give. You know the little boy who offered his fishes and his loaves? He had, Chris, what he had was enough. God multiplied it. He used it to bless the widow who gave her might. It was just that little thing that she gave, but it was enough. And what you have to offer God is enough. As a part of this, as your pastor, I'm going to try to give us some little things that we can do together. Everybody say together. Now we're going to be in the Psalms, one Psalm at a time for probably uh, two more years, maybe almost two more years. It's been a a journey I knew was going to change our church, but I had no idea how much it was going to do it and how it was going to do. And, and I do feel that God has done a great service and given us an opportunity, though, to be a new church. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I pray that we do not squander this opportunity to build wiser and to do so with faith and peace, knowing that what we want to do is build something that will endure. Amen? You know, when we visited England, we would visit a church and they would say, oh, this church is 400 years old. You're like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's, that's old. And, you know, the church that we were there was several hundred years old. We visited a church and, and there were fewer people that are in here. But the people were faithful. The people had been a part of the church. The people were reaching out to their community still. And so I'm going to give you something. Now, this will seem small, but I, I really think this is the kind of thing I want to do. I want to plant a seed, okay? So for many years, we've been doing our scripture memorization, right? And I know that's been a blessing. Uh, I know also it's been discouraging because if you kind of fall behind, you almost want to quit, <laughs> right? Uh, I know in the beginning when we started the memorization, the Robinettes were doing better than they have been doing lately. And I wanted to try to reboot, you know, to try to do something that we could do that there was no way we couldn't do. Even you, Jason. You ready? You want to join us in memorization this year? You can do it. All right. Now, when I tell you what it is, Chris and Joy, you might go, now, come on now. You didn't want to play the game on New Year's where you put the computer over your head because you're like, we're old. We can't do that kind of stuff. You can do this. Every person in this church can do this. Every little kid. Now... Uh, in babies under one may not be able to do this, but if you are older than one, you can do this, okay? So our monthly scriptural memorization has been these big passages, sometimes entire books in a year. Um, but in the spirit of understanding, in this, this, this vision I want is, I, you know, people say go big, you know, or go home. We're going to go small. We're going to do what we can do, and we're going to do it together, all right? So Tim was only supposed to read one verse, and it's so short, every one of you could memorize it today. Now, you may not all memorize it today, but I want you all to memorize it in the next month. I mean, that's pretty, pretty big. Now, we may find that so small, nobody does it. This is not what we're going for here, okay? So in the first month, we're going to learn just one short verse. One, I think, like I said, everyone could learn. And I picked this verse because I want us all to remember first and foremost that God is sovereign and that it all depends on Him. Amen? It's certainly something we can rally around. Amen? Right? So here's what the verse says. Being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. How many of you can rally around that thought? That what God started in your life, Sister Ashley, he is going to finish it. The Bible tells us in another passage that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So can we today uh, look at this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ, and kind of let that be an important thing that we rally around, okay? So it's simple, right? We can all do it. Uh, so I'm really, really not joking around here. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to consider committing, like saying, like, all right, I will do this. And not, not forgetting it tomorrow, but like making it something you will do, right? So I, I'm not asking you to raise your hand and say you promise you're going to do it right this second. I'm not really working on that. But I'm kind of hoping that by the end of the service you can say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to memorize this one teeny tiny scripture. Maybe you already have it. So it's the power of the simple work that we can do together. And and, and I really want to do this, and it may sound funny, but I think it could do something amazing in our church if we all do this one real... Benita, you can do it. You can do it. She already knows it probably, right? So we'll be learning small portions of Scripture passages all year long, and I'm really hoping you can all do that. But I'm not asking you to commit to all of this, but to just one thing. Philippians 1.6... But what we're going to do is we're going to memorize it this way. We're going to say, and you can just do it with me. Philippians 1.6. Being confident that he which hath begun a good work in me will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now, in, in, and I'm not asking you to memorize it different because it is a good work in you, but I was kind of thinking about it how we could take this to heart. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. When we learn it, though, we're going to say it, and when we're done, we're going to say the verse again. We're going to say Philippians 1, 6. So say Philippians 1, 6. Um, knowing the scripture, chapter and verse, is a powerful thing. Sometimes you're in the situation, you need to find something quick. I know we all have Google and various means of looking things up. But when you're having a conversation or when God is talking to you, it's a very good thing. And, and um, some of you heard about this. I don't know if I told the whole church or not. Did I tell the church about what happened in Honduras? With the, there was a young Spanish girl there. And I thought she was a Christian because she was helping us interpret on our medical mission. And, um, but she wasn't. Um, and somewhere along the line, she became convicted, and, and I'm leading her to Christ. But I don't have a Bible with me um, in English, and I'm wanting to take her to different places uh, in the Bible because she has some, some questions. And so I'm looking around, and I saw there was a Spanish Bible there, and I'm like, you know what? I know scriptures. I know the chapter and the verse because I learned it in Bible quizzing. And so I would say, go to this passage and go to that passage. And I'm naming exact verses, Sister Kim. I'm going, turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You know, and she goes, boom. And she was just like, wow, you know the Bible. I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah. And so knowing chapter and verse can be powerful. 
And so we're going to learn the verses and we're going to in this year learn 33 verses in a whole year. You think you might be able to do that? Okay. And they're going to be anchor verses. Verses that will help you because over the next three years, we're going to memorize the whole book of Philippians. And we're not just going to memorize the book of Philippians. We're going to learn facts about it. We're going to master it as a church. I'm going to say, where is Philippi? You're going to answer the question. I'm going to say, well, what was, you know, Philippi was named after who? It was named after King Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. We're going to learn questions. We're going to learn, where was Paul when he wrote it? He was in a prison in Rome. Who did he write it to? Who was he with? How did the church at Philippi start? We're going to learn over the next three years. We'll be able to go backwards and forwards and know everything that you could possibly ever want to know about the book of Philippians. It's a beautiful, a beautiful book. And I picked the book because the book of Philippians reminds me of this church. Paul loved the people at Philippi. You know, if you read the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he loved them, but they were very frustrating. They lived like a bunch of heathens. And he was like, now guys, come on, you're doing stuff that even heathens aren't doing. What's wrong with you people? You need to repent. And he's, he's being kind of rough on them. When you read the book of Philippians, it's a, it's, a, it's a book to a church that is supporting him in prison, who loves him, who's kind to him, who he's impressed at their Christianity and their love for one another. And that really reminds me of Foundation Church. And so I want to know this book, okay? So I've got my little, have you guys seen my little quizzing thing that I, you know, where you, it's got the lights that light up. We're going to get that thing out. And every Sunday, kids are going to play little quiz games and we're going to answer questions. And you guys are going to come up with questions. And Tim is going to be the master of the memorization scheme, the whole thing. He's going to be an expert, all right? And we're, we're all going to get involved. Moms are going to memorize it. Kids are going to memorize it. Even old people like me are going to memorize it. We're going to know it. We're going to get up and quote it. Now you might say, come on now, Mark, you have never got up in church ever. You always just preach sermons. And I, I know this is just something I think we can do. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do so that you are not left uh, wanting today. I'm going to walk through some of the first chapter of this book with you. And to talk about what I see God doing in our lives in 2022, okay? So we never do know what will actually happen as we have learned quite well since 2022 when the entire world, you know, we had 22 people ready to get on airplanes and fly all the way across the world and it was all canceled and we couldn't go and COVID-19 happened and so many people we know have died and, and the world has been turned upside down. Um, and many bad things have happened. So we don't really know what will happen. That's up to God. But why don't we just look at Philippians chapter 1. And so I'm just going to preach in this just a little while. And then uh, talk to you about what I think God is going to do in and through us. Philippians chapter 1, as you heard several times already this morning, says Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. The defining thing for all of us and the thing that unifies us or not that we're related. Some people in this church are blood relatives, one or the other, but that we are in Christ. Everybody say, I am in Christ. So, and they're at Philippi. We actually are at Mount Sterling. And he mentions here with the bishops and deacons. We're thankful for authority that God gives in the church. And 
we want to glorify God by doing things decently and in order. Amen? He says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy from your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Those three verses basically let you know he not only loves the Philippians, but he likes them. He enjoys them. He thinks of them. He's probably in jail and he's going to write to the Corinthians and he's like, you know what? These people wear me out. They're receiving false apostles and they're refusing to discipline sinners in their midst and they're getting their theology wrong. But then he's like, oh, but wait a minute. There's those people at Philippi. All those people who send me, you know, offerings to me and who are helping me out and who are encouraging and who I never hear anything bad about these people. Oh, I love these people at Philippi. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy. He's not saying, oh Lord, straighten them out. He's making requests with joy. Bless them, Lord. Give them good things. Bring wonderful things into their lives. I can tell you right now, not only do I love the people of this church, but I like you. I like to be with you. I like to hang out with you. I'm encouraged when I just am near you. You don't even have to say a lot. And I enjoy it. I enjoy, you know, whatever it is we do together. I love it. He said, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, he gave the context of it. And one thing I love about the thing that ties us together, the fellowship that we have is centered in the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, you might not like the way that, you know, we have so many books and knickknacks in our house that may overwhelm you. You might be a minimalist, you know, whatever. You might not like the way we, we dress. Maybe I wear, you know, clothes that are too something for you, whatever it is. I don't know. But the thing that we have in common with one another is this. We believe that Christ came to the, into the world. He came to save sinners and that he's changing the world through the good news of the gospel. That is what binds us together. Amen. Paul loved these people as his own children. They were his spiritual children, birthed from his suffering like a mother whose pains endear her to her offspring. He left his homeland. He was beaten. He was imprisoned for them and more. And he loved them more because of the suffering he endured in founding of this church, which we can read about in the book of Acts. And we will as we go through uh, this time of mastering the book of Philippians together. He wrote this book, as I said, from a Roman prison, and it's easy to see how much he loved them and he hoped to see them. And the hope sustained him in the midst of his difficulty. And I'll tell you, I know what that's like too. I know that as I have suffered and gone through difficult things, whether it be the illness of my wife or the ecclesiastical tribulations that we have suffered, I keep saying to myself, but God has given us these people. God has given us this church. He's given it these people that we love. Shall we just you know, pull the covers up over our head and stay home and give up and quit? No, God forbid. And I feel this way about all of you. Paul loved them and he felt very much like they belonged to him. But at the same time, he understood who their real parentage was. It was the father of lights, the good shepherd, the first and the last. He who changes not and whose mercies are new every morning. I think our memory verse was just as much for Paul, though, as it was for the readers of here in Philippi or here at our church. It might even really apply, you know, when you, when you read this, to think about your children. How many of you really, you know, 
Christina, you're, you're raising your kids and you're like, I want to raise them to love God. I want to raise them to serve the Lord. I want them to, to feel the passion to love the lost and to want to help the poor, right? You want this as a mother, right? So what you got to do, Tim, is you got to go, all right, being confident that he which that began a good work in you, you, you know, Benaiah and Titus and Elise and Christian and, you know, Lydia and, you know, all of the kids, Toby, right? All of you, right? And there's more, there's probably like five more Hatfields I, I didn't name there. Did I get them wrong? I don't know. You can't miss Lisey, right? Right? She greets me every single Sunday, hugs me, tells me she loves me. But we got we to gotta commit to the Lord this. We, you know, Paul was being reminded just as much for himself because he's in the prison and he's like, man, I wish I could get out. I wish I could come to them. I wish I could be there. And what is he's writing for them? You should be confident that he began a good work in you will perform it. He's probably saying, okay, God, I can't get out. I can't help him. I can't do what I want to do. But I am confident that, Lord, you, you began a good work in them and you're going to complete it. Paul knew he was going to die at some point. He knew probably he was going to be beheaded, which he ended up being. And he could die with peace, knowing that he that began the good work, because it wasn't Paul, right? Paul just got to be there. Paul just got the privilege of being beaten and thrown in prison and mistreated so that they could have a church. That was just his role in it. But he knew that it, he, he didn't even claim it was him. It was he that began the good work. It's not me, Paul. It's God. He says in verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. He began to see not only where uh, was God beginning something in them that he was going to finish, not Paul had begun it and Paul was going to finish it. He had limits. He had come to realize that what he had to offer was enough. He could offer what he could, but he can't make him, he can't free himself from prison. Because what's funny is he was in prison before he started the Philippi church. And remember he sang praises to God and, and God caused an earthquake to release him. But now he's in Rome and the earth isn't quaking, Jesse. And he's having to go, you know what? I've got to be confident that God is going to do this. And he said, but you know what? Not only can I be confident that God is going to uh, complete the work in you, you can be confident that you are a part of what God is doing in me. And they loved him like a spiritual father. And he said, you are partakers with me of this grace that I am experiencing in God. For God is my record how, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels or the emotions or the passion of Jesus Christ. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve those things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and the praise of God. When he comes to verse 12, he knows that it's difficult. Could you imagine if I were languishing in a Burmese prison? Imagine if we'd been able to make our trip over there and when we did, the military coup had hit, which has hit. And imagine if I were languishing in a prison he said, verse 12, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. And they would probably say, what do you mean? You were the greatest gospel preacher in the world, Paul. You were the great apostle and you came and you brought the message to us and you're telling me the gospel's being advanced more because you're in jail? And it was. 
Paul could say that by hope, right? In the same sense that, do you remember when John the Baptist, he came preaching and then he's thrown in jail and he's in the jail and the people come and they go, oh, John, 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 you should know this, that the lame are walking, that the blind are receiving sight. And, and, and they were kind of encouraging him. He goes, well, then you know what? I don't need to leave because I must decrease that he might increase. His job was not to come. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. And now the light, Jesus Christ was shining and John could die in peace in prison. I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. This is another one of our anchor verses we will memorize this year so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in the palace and all other places. What palace? There in Rome. Many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's saying, you know what? Because I'm not preaching, a bunch of other people are beginning to preach and that's best. This is a man who's looking at his circumstance and he has faith rather than looking at his circumstance and having fear. Many of the brethren in the Lord are waxing confident by my bonds, by my imprisonment. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. But then he noted that some indeed preach Christ only of envy and strife. There's bad guys out there too. There are people even in the church who uh, want to be thought well of. Remember how, how Barnabas was giving in Acts chapter uh, uh, 4 and 5. He's, he's, there, there's the giving of offerings. There's the selling of the things that they were donating to the, the work of the ministry. And Barnabas gave a great gift and Ananias and Sapphira saw it. And they're like, you know, we want to get, we want people to think as highly of us as they think of old Barnabas here. Now God dealt with them, but he's saying right here, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife and some do it of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Could you imagine being, having been guilty of that? You're a Christian in the day of Paul and he's in jail and your sermons are meant to poke and prod him because you didn't like the way he did things. He said, the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And what I love about this is what he says next. He says, you know what? There are people preaching for the wrong reason. There are people preaching to even hurt me. There are people who are preaching with bad hearts. But he says, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and therein I rejoice and I will rejoice. That'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it? Knowing that people who are preaching are self-centered and nasty and ungodly, but yet Christ is preached and for that I will rejoice. What does he say? Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Here's another anchor verse 20 and 21 that we're going to learn. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed that within all boldness is always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it is by my life or my death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was at the place of a, a reckless abandon, you could say, but I wouldn't call it reck. I would call it faithful abandon. And the faith-filled abandon says this, whether it takes my death of beheading in this Roman prison or whether I get out to come and preach to you again, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it's through my life or through my death. You know, we all want to be saved. We want to be 
we want to be those that were thrown into the lion's den and the lions won't chomp us up and eat us like it, Daniel was. We want to be those who are thrown in the fiery furnace and, and there's one in there who's like the Son of God and uh, no flames are kindling upon us and we're just all walking around in there. But there were others, the book of Hebrews tells us, who were not delivered, who were thrown into the Colosseum and who were eaten, whose bodies were torn, whose dead were not raised to life, even though God sometimes does give us those resurrection miracles, sometimes it doesn't happen. And Paul said, whether if God chooses to sow my death and, be, and I be a martyr for his gospel, whether it be by death or by life, Christ shall be magnified. Who did he learn this from? He learned it from Jesus. Everyone was trying, Rachel, they were trying to get Jesus. Don't go to the cross. This is crazy. Run for your life. No good could come from the great man of God, the man whose every word is right, the man who has all power. What good could come from removing him from the ministry? No, 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 no. Don't do that. He's the great man of God. And what was the thing that Jesus needed to do most that we didn't want him to do, nobody wanted him to do. If you had been living at the time of Christ, you would not have wanted him to die on that cross. You would have been trying to get him not to do it, right? But what did he know? He said, he, he said this to, to his disciples, should I ask God to deliver me from the very purpose I came here for? <laughs> what did he come to do? He came to die. That was his greatest mission. Whether it be by life or by death, Christ will be magnified in my body. We don't know. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I know not. For here's another anchor, verse 23 and 24. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's talking about in the right now. He, he may die next week, but he's saying right now I'm alive. Right now I'm writing you this letter. And obviously I, God's given me one more day and what am I going to do with it? I'm going to write a letter to the church at Philippi. For me, this is one of the amazing things, Sister Joy. Paul would never have known that his words that he was writing were 100% accurate, 100% inspired, 100% infallible, and 100% the word of God. He would not have known it, right? He was just writing a letter. We oftentimes write letters and we don't know if, if this is God's word. We don't know if this is the great thing that God is uh, giving the world, but he was doing it here. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. How did he know that? Because he was still alive. He was still alive on that day writing that letter, so he's still alive and so God must need him. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for the furtherance and the joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Now, Paul is speaking in hope here, and Paul wants to come to them again, but guess what, guys? Paul, according to church history, never made it back to Philippi. But he tells them in verse 27, let your conversation, and that means your lifestyle, be as that becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I am come to see you or else be absent, because he didn't really know. He just said he wanted to come. I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. 
Verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And this is a little, this is a difficult scripture for us, but it will be one of our anchor verses for this year. God has not only called us and saved us, for it is unto you is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. This is certainly not a popular message in the church world today. But God has called us to suffer. Some of the greatest uh, things have happened through difficulty and through lack and through suffering. And in fact, I am going to close by telling you a little story. And I, I really almost wish I could just read it for you. But I'll tell it to you the way I remember it. All right? So we, this book that we're about to republish, um, it's called the, With the Ventons in the, Among the Karens or something like that. It's a family name by the Ventons. But, so these people were in the mountains of uh, Burma and they're, they're in the foothills of the Himalayas and they're there working and they're in extraordinary poverty. People are starving to death. At one point, the man who is the surgeon, uh, the, there, there was a civil war and the, uh, the people came and they took all the people's food and the people were literally starving to death. And they, and they didn't have time to grow new food and they're going to die. So the, uh, so the surgeon goes down to the port where there are ships and he says, I want to buy a ship full of rice. And I don't know if I'll ever have the money to pay you. And the guy said, your work among our people has been so magnificent. I will send you not only one ship, I'll send you as many shipfuls of rice as you want. And he goes to another country and they fill them full of rice and they come and they bring them there. Now he said, I did not know that through this hardship that something good was going to come out of it. All I saw is that all of our food was gone and everyone's food was gone and all these people were starving. And I had no idea that the man would order the rice and he did. And they were able to feed all the people of this entire region. I mean, thousands of them from shipload after shipload after shipload of rice that was seven times more expensive than it was normally. Can you imagine this? And all on the word of this man, he goes, he goes, how can I not? And some people said, you will, you will be ruined financially. You are, you know, you will destroy the prospects of the ministry in this area for years to come. But you know what God did? God provided him not only with the money to pay for every one of those ships afterward, but they had money to pay the interest and the difficulties and they had more to spare on top of it and they fed all of these people. And he said, and a strange thing happened as we went through the region preaching the gospel, people that had resisted us and tried to kill us, they said, well, he's the man that saved my children. He's the man that saved my wife. He's the man who food fed me for the past several months. And it was not his goal to do this. It was his Gold, he just could not not do it. And when the man who owned the shipping company said that he would be willing to do it, he said, well, then bring it all. Just keep bringing rice till we can't, we can't eat anymore. Folks, that's an amazing story. That's an amazing story of trust in God. And we have got to trust God that when we are doing what is right, you know, he said, how could I expect that God would not allow me to give food? to people that are starving to death. They did not stop by giving it only to Christians. He said, at first I was giving it only to the Christians, but I found that when a Buddhist man came 
and his family was starving. There was no way I could turn him away. I could not do it. And he goes, and God had his way in it. Sometimes God puts us in a situation for such a time like that. I believe that what God is going to do, like he has done here, God puts uh, you know, in our lives uh, these, uh, the Zimmerman family, and we're going to meet some Fulanis. And when we hear about whatever needs they have, we're going to pray that God's going to meet those needs. Amen? Whether they be far away in another foreign country, or whether they be right here in Columbus, Ohio, the people here, we're going to pray that God will meet them. And I think that what's going to keep happening is what's been happening. People are calling us on the phone. People are mailing us checks. People are wanting to come from other places. Why are they wanting to do this? We don't have anything fancy here to offer them. We don't even have, you know, we don't have a lot of things that normal organizations even have. But, but by God's grace, even without all of that, do you know that we have, by God's grace, raised millions and millions of dollars from this little tiny church? That's amazing to me. I think it's God's way of laughing at the world. Look what I can do through these little people who, you know, they can't even start church on time. They, 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 they try every week to start at 10 o'clock and sometimes it's almost 1030. You know, Our, we, we got this boiler system working and, and, and we got it to where it was so hot. We were on here on New Year's Eve and it was so hot. We had to open all the doors. We're like, oh, but I mean, who would have expected it to be so hot? But then we forgot to turn it back on. That's why everybody was cold this morning. <laughs> we, so, so God looks at people like us and he goes, these people, they're perfect. No one will ever think they were so great. But I'm going to do great things through them. In fact, if people got into the details and they looked at it, they would go, how on earth can they do this? And I will say, I don't know. They'll wonder, they're like, how could, they, uh, how could their numbers decrease in such a manner as they did, and yet the financial situation of the church is unchanged. Unchanged. Everybody say unchanged. How is that possible? That's amazing to me. That's miraculous to me. And in the end, no flesh will be able to glory. That's how God is going to continue to work through us. I believe that we will continue to be able to bless the people of Myanmar whose situation is getting worse by the day. They're going through civil war and people are starving and people are hungry, but yet God has put us in a place where we can get uh, what they need to them. Why would he do that through us? Why didn't he use some other person to do it? I don't know because God is just kind to us. I believe that God is going to lead us to the lost people of this neighborhood and to immigrants that have come to this country and uh, they might be Christian and they might not be and they're looking for some love and some kindness, I believe we're going to uh, be a part of that. The uh, Nepali people had actually planned to be a part of coming to visit our house this week, but they got COVID and they're doing okay, uh, but they were unable to come. And so maybe God wanted to relegate all of this to 2022 so we can see what God will do in 2022 because it rhymes, you know, something silly like that. But Norbu and Juna and the Nepali people, maybe you'll get to meet them. Maybe you never will. I don't know. But God, as he puts people in our lives, we just got to look at that person and say, how can we serve them? How can we love them? How can we show them the love of Christ? What do we have to give? Well, just what we have. And if we don't have it to give, then we don't. Then what we do is we'll pray that God will bless us. 
again and again, we, God gives us something like a building out there and we go, well, we can't really do this or we can't do this or we don't have the money to do that, but God can, amen? And, and really, our lack, joy, if we had a big bank account and we could do that, it would be a whole lot less fun than God sending strangers from Idaho with a construction crew. That's a whole lot more fun. And it's probably fun for them. This guy's even bringing a total heathen. And he's bringing him because he wants to convert him to Christ. And he goes, the guy is such, so opposed to Christ, he said, well, maybe God will give me a condo in hell if I go and help this situation out. This guy's an unbeliever. I don't even know this man's name, but maybe God could touch this man through the people here at this church. God has his way of doing things we know nothing about, amen? I really believe that God is going to lead us into new friendships and new relationships. And, and I really want to be in good relationship with the other pastors and, and ministers. God has blessed us this year with a growing relationship with our Nazarene brothers and our uh, Baptist brothers and our Church of Christ, the Christian Union brothers here in our community. We need to know who they are and love them. And, and we need to work together for the unity of the faith we're not living in a time where we need to be all pent up and, and focused on the fact that we're Presbyterians, you know, and, and we've got the right way and nobody does and argue with people. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world in, the, in our ministerial meeting when they found out some things that we believed and, and they were like, you believe that? You're one of them crazy Calvinists? I'm like, well, yeah, we, we are. I'm like, are you, will you still eat with me? You know? And, uh, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're, yes, we will, you know, but I knew it was hard for him, you know, and, um, but you know what? God can still save us Calvinists. Amen. Amen. And you know what? We don't have a corner on the market of, of doctrinal understanding, you know, throughout our lives, our doctrines may change. They may augment. We may learn something. Wouldn't that be something if we learn something and we change? Wouldn't that be something? So what we do, what, what isn't going to change is God and his goodness. What isn't going to change is that God is the one who does the saving. And we're the ones who get to uh, benefit from that. And as this last verse says, not only do we get to be saved by God, but we will get to suffer too. And I'm telling you, you want to participate in Christ and in the work of Christ. It's going to happen through suffering and difficulty. Uh, William Carey, when he went to India, it was a difficult thing for him. He had a wife, he had children, and he was trying to preach the gospel. But it was not until he began to suffer so horribly that the gospel took hold in India. He saw his child die. He saw his wife die. He's there, and the people saw that he would not quit, that he came to bring the gospel, and that he would not stop preaching and the people said, if any man would endure such hardship, then what he is saying must be true. And they began to believe the gospel. And as a result, thousands and probably even millions of people came to Christ in a land where it was only filled with darkness. So it was through his suffering. It is through the suffering of Christ. And it will be through our own suffering too. As we suffer difficulty and persecution and misunderstanding and all these things, that God will be glorified. Amen. How many of you are willing to say, God, I want you to be glorified in my life or my death? Amen. I want, I want to be glorified whether, you know, I don't just want it to be because I won the Ed McMahon's uh, Publishers Clearinghouse or the lottery. But Lord, 
The lottery I've won is that by grace I've been saved by God and that He loves me and that He is working a work in me and when He began it, He's going to complete it. And I believe God's going to do that through this church. Amen? Amen. It may not be the uh, power pack sermons that you're used to getting from this pulpit, but there's something that God is just dealing with me about, about going small, about looking at the scriptures, hiding them in our hearts, loving our neighbors, and, and being unified as a body. I think that's how we're going to sow a seed into this community of love and, and preach the gospel here in Mount Sterling. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Your word is a powerful thing. Lord, as it is planted in our hearts and in our minds, oh God, I pray that we would let our lights shine as you begin to grow that mustard seed in us, that small thing. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that that small thing that had began in us would be, would grow and then it would uh, provide rest for the birds and shade for weary travelers, that the fruit of it would be for the healing of the nations. Lord, we've seen this illustration in your word time and time again. And today we ask, Lord, for you to plant us. May we be that kernel of wheat that goes into the ground and dies. And may we bring forth the fruit of love in a world filled with hate and darkness. May we be light, may we be salt, and may we bring the fruit of the Spirit Help us in Jesus' name. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.